Hello and welcome to The Best Book Ever, the podcast where we get to know interesting people by asking them about their favorite book. I'm your host, Julie Strauss, and today I'm so happy to welcome back one of my all-time favorite guests, my podcast twin, Malavika Prasid. Malavika's wonderful show, the Your Favorite Book Podcast, is going on a temporary hiatus, and today I talk to her about what she's learned from it and how she thinks her reading life will change without the requirements of reading other people's favorite books. We also talked about her personal favorites and if her answer would change if she were to come back on my show for a single book episode. But it's not all serious book talk. We also covered the very important topics of book snacks and shelf organization. I know you're going to love hearing the brilliant Malavika Proceed talk about why she loves reading all the best books ever. Hi, Malavika. Welcome back to the Best Book Ever podcast. Hey, Julie. It's always great to be here. Listen, you are my podcast twin. Through the end of this year, which we will get to in a minute, you are the host of the absolutely wonderful Your Favorite Book podcast, which is remarkably similar to the premise of this podcast. But things are about to change for you. Can you tell our listeners about that? Yeah, so um, we're filming the recording this in early December. And at the end of the year, I'm actually going to be going on a bit of a hiatus for my show. I've been running my show for about two and a half years now, and it's been a dream. But um, I have some new things changing for me in life. And um, as a result, I'm trying to take a proactive approach and only taking on what I can handle. And so as sad as it is to let something go, I'll just be putting the show on hold for a little while. I'm not quite sure how long yet, at least a few months, but we'll see how things shake out. And the thing that you are transitioning into is also book-related. I am getting an MFA, a master's uh, in fine arts in fiction. Um, It's a low residency program. As you know, I'm a genetic counselor and I will still be a genetic counselor in my ad during the day. And then at night I will be writing and being judged on my writing by other people because that's what I thrive on. And the eventual goal is just to improve my craft as a writer, (laughs) sort of get to know the publishing industry, get to work with some amazing faculty mentors and, you know, hopefully join some of the amazing writers that I've had on my show and hopefully be, you know, in their shoes someday. I did mention my podcast in my um, applications for the programs and every program I interviewed at, they asked me about it. And the thing is, I've always said in my show, I don't consider myself an authority in anything. I'm just someone who loves books and I'm eager to learn and I'm excited to learn from other people in this new journey of mine. What are your ultimate goals with the MFA? Like, what do you, what do you want to do? Do you want to teach? Do you want to write? Where do you think you'll go with this? Well, I have my, uh, my shoot for the moon goal and my eventual and my like more modest, but still hopeful goal. My shoot for the moon goal is I want to win the Pulitzer prize for fiction. Um, (laughs) My more modest goal is that I would like to be a published author. Um, I don't know if that means full-time writing at some point in my life, but it just means that I want to make my work better. I want to get my work out there. I want to be an active submitting and publishing writer. And I think I've taken my craft kind of as far as it can go on its own, on my own. And now I'm looking for mentorship, which I know this program is going to help with. How do you think your recreational reading life will change now that you do not have the podcast? I think 
what has happened as a result. And I noticed this kind of whenever I studied literature in some capacity is that the books I pick up for fun have been fluffier in general than the books mm. I read for the show. And mostly that's just because I just want to get lost in a good story. I just want to give my mind a break. And sometimes it's a lot of my guests, not all of them pick heavier, more literary books to read. And, and a lot of them write set books as well. And while I really enjoy those, Sometimes I just find myself getting a little tired. And so the books I've been picking up for fun have definitely been more casual. So I think without the show, I might turn more to literary reading again in my free time. Um, although I've, I've still been doing some free time literary reading. I just finished the National Book Award long list, which was 10 books in two months. And that was a lot, but <laughs> nice. uh, I'll probably still make time for all of that. And I, I definitely think it's diversified quite a bit too. And I don't think that's going to change. Do you think having this podcast has changed what you want to write? That's a really good question. I think it's affirmed what I want to write in some capacities because I've had the privilege of interviewing a lot of authors who write in the vein that I do and have have been inspirational to me as well. And kind of hearing about their journeys has made me feel okay, I, I can write some of this. Uh, but it's also made me curious about other genres, other topics. It made me kind of uh, go back into trying out short stories again, because I've interviewed some great short story writers and some great nonfiction writers. I'm like, man, maybe I should write nonfiction. It's just made me <laughs> really curious about what could be in the future for me, just having all these incredible minds to to pick. I mean, that's the thing. That is the greatest part, I think, of being a reader, right? Is that every time you read something, it leads you to something else. I, I know that probably when I stop, I'm going to spend at least a, de- a few weeks like barely reading it all, watching a lot of junky TV. And I'm like, look, now I don't have to read. And then eventually I'm going to miss it. And I'm going to take off way too many books from my library again. And I'm going to set all these reading goals for myself that I may or may not achieve because I'm an Aries and that's what I do. But um, I'm excited to see kind of where this takes me. Over the course of your podcast and the, you know, as I said at the beginning of the show, we have the same premise where a guest comes on with their favorite book onto your show and, and you read it and discuss it with them. What has been the one that maybe surprised you the most and became a favorite that you wouldn't have expected to be a favorite or maybe that you wouldn't have picked up on your own steam? Oh, these are great questions. For me, a couple titles are coming to mind. Uh, the first one I taught, I read way, way back, um, I think in my first or second season, it is The Priory of the Orange Tree by Samantha Shannon. Um, it is a giant fantasy novel, giant. And I don't read a lot of giant fantasy novels. And when this book was suggested, I was tempted to say, no, I don't. I don't have the bandwidth for this. This isn't what I usually read. Can you pick something shorter? (laughs) But instead, I was like, you know what? Let me give this a try. And it took me a few weeks, but I went through it. And while I don't consider it a, a perfect book, I was enthralled by how invested in this world I became to the point where I've pre-ordered her next like thousand page book in the same world that wow. she said. Like I'm waiting for it. And I I never thought of myself as a fantasy girly, but here I am. I found the type of fantasy that really works for me. And it's intense, like historical, um just just like this historically based fantasy, um, these really 
small scale interpersonal conflicts along with sort of your larger world building. The world building is approachable. You don't get lost in it, especially if you're not used to fantasy. So I tell people who don't read a lot of fantasy, you are going to get intimidated by the length. But the biggest testament I can tell you is that I got to the end and I still wanted more. So that's the one that comes to mind as like a very surprising pick. Um, But the other ones that come to mind, and I'm looking at kind of what I've read, is that I found myself enjoying classics again, uh, which for me, it, it was kind of a, after I finished my undergrad degree, I majored in English. I was so sick of classics for a while. I was like, mm. I don't want to read any of these. Like, I, I don't, I'm sorry, Henry James. I don't care. Like <laughs> uh, Charles Dickens, no. Like, and I still have the writers I don't really care for, but I've read some excellent books by, uh, that are in the classic vein. A lot of Edith Wharton, who's rapidly become one of my favorite, favorite writers. Um, I've read some excellent non-Pride and Prejudice Jane Austen. I've read, um, a Death in the Family by James Agee. There's been so many books of Kazuo Ishiguro, like modern and older classics that are like these big award winners that I was like, are these overhyped? But I'm like, no, 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 the hype is real. Like these are worthy reads and I enjoyed them and love digging into them. And it also feels like, oh, I'm kind of in this part of society where it's like, now I know what all the fuss is about. And it's like, I get mm. the memes now. I get the jokes. I get... <laughs> I'm in this club a little bit and it it just feels good to be part of that. I need yeah. to, to learn about the tastes of other people. I mean, if I just stuck with my own taste, I never would have read a lot of this stuff. And, but right. opening, opening that up, that, that field to just what other people really care about and getting to know why they care about it. You, you gain so much, you know, love for a certain book. We've talked about this many times. You've always been more willing to say what didn't work for you. Um, on your show, which is one of the things I like best about your show. I don't so much do that, but I do like the next question that we both ask after that, which is, you know, even though it didn't work for me, I really do want to hear why this is good for you. Mm -hmm. And it's just so illuminating, I think. Like, even if you hadn't have liked Priory of the Orange Tree, that book is a commitment. And it's fascinating to ask someone why that's appealing and why they would want to commit so much time and energy to that. It's such an interesting conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, you're right. I've been vocal about it. I've told guests, I'm sorry, I tried, I couldn't finish it. <laughs> or I'm sorry, like parts of this just really rubbed me the wrong way. Or I'm just like, this just wasn't for me, but I get it. And you know what? I, I think it just makes the conversation easier when you're upfront because you're mm-hmm. not tiptoeing around something necessarily. Uh, and that's just kind of how I communicate. I'm, I mean, in the end, like, Ever like the books I love are going to be somebody's least favorite. Like sure. I think yeah. there's that that meme around where it's like there's a one star review of Pride and Prejudice. It's like just a bunch of people going to each other's houses, yes. and I'm like, you know what? I get it. <laughs> I love that book, but I get it. Right, right. If you're into dragons and sword fights and things like that, you're going to just die of boredom reading Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> Obviously, like you're going to go. What is the point of reading this? This is just like living in my neighborhood or something. <laughs> yeah. Did you read anything that sent you on a deep dive? But it sounds like Edith Wharton has. Yes. Oh my gosh. I was not expecting this, but I started reading. Uh, 
back, I guess back up is um, when I was 14, I really loved her novella, Ethan Fromm, which mm-hmm. like for a 14 year old, that's really sad reading, but I always loved sad books. You know this about me. And <laughs> I, but that's the only thing I had read by her. And then I read the age of innocence for the show. And then recently I read the house of mirth for the show. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I can't think of too many writers that I give like straight up five-star reads, like five-star ratings to every book of theirs I've written, but I am slowly accumulating all the Edith Wharton books. They have a little shelf. I am reading through all the Edith Wharton. She's up there with like my auto buy authors. Now I have a little list of authors where if I see their books, I buy them because I want to have them all. It's like five or six writers and she is up there. And I don't think I would have read her before the show other than that one book. And so, yeah, definitely a deep dive there. Who else is on that list for you that you automatically buy when you spot them? Oh yeah. Um, uh, William Faulkner. That's another of middle course. school holdover. <laughs> I love Faulkner. I buy all his books. Um, he's long dead, but I, I buy them when I find them. Um, Jhumpa Lahiri. I love mm-hmm. Jhumpa Lahiri. She's been foundational for me when it comes to kind of finding my space as an Indian American writer and also seeing kind of where the genre has shifted away from her and how she has shifted in her own work. It's been really fascinating. Um, Jeff Perlman, former guest of mine, I fangirl, my favorite sports writer. I have all his books. I pre-ordered his most recent one and like squealed when it came in the mail. I'm a, I'm a fangirl, not apologizing. Carson <laughs> McCullers. I know we talked about Carson McCullers was I when I was on the show with you talking about one of my all-time favorites. She had such a short writing career and not too many books to her name. So they're not all hard to find, but love everything she's put out. So yeah, it's a, it's a small list. A lot of writers who are dead now, but some writers who are still actively putting out books, and I am waiting for all of them. How do about you, you? Do you have any autobi authors? I'm curious. You know, one that's new to me, a lot have been reintroduced to me. Like, um, I had Stephen Pelton was on this year, and he talked about Mrs. Dalloway, and I read a lot of Virginia Woolf in college and kind of thought, like, that's who you read when you're studying literature and then you kind of move on with your life Mm -hmm. and reading Mrs. Dalloway as a middle-aged woman was a completely different experience speaking Mm -hmm. to a middle-aged man who lives in London and, and, and he is, he is a hardcore Virginia Woolf fan. Mm -hmm. And so to talk to someone who has such a depth of understanding, not only of her writing, but of her as a person, was fascinating and really sent me back into my library to pick up her books again because it's really easy to think that she's and I'm using air quotes here that she's work and I treat my reading life as a respite so much and I thought you only read Virginia Woolf when you need to write an essay Mm. or something (laughs) right and I don't write essays anymore because I'm 53 and I do what I want (laughs) but I Reading with him for that episode made me see the value of reading her as a as a le- leisure experience and as a recreational experience just for the benefit of hearing her words. And it's phenomenal and and sent me back to her other work again, which was great. I can admit to you here, I've actually never read any Virginia Woolf. Mm. Um, I She's have tough to get into. She's tough. I have a copy of Mrs. Dalloway because my my younger sister, who's not a super literary person, but she took a class 
And Mrs. Dalloway was assigned and she said, I loved this. You need to read this. And I bought a copy and I've just never gotten to it. But I know she's one of those, you know, foundational early 20th century writers that you need to get into. And I I want to for sure. Um, I need to make time for that. I bet you'll get assigned some Mrs. Dalloway in your MFA program. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? She's one that I, and I think we talked about this when we talked about uh, Howard's End. She's Mm -hmm. one that I strongly recommend that you get into or through the movies that you watch the hours, which is sort of based on Mrs. Dalloway. I'm not a snob about movies leading to literature at all. And I think if that's the way you are introduced to classic novels, then phenomenal. And so Mm -hmm. that's one thing that I would recommend is reading um, the hours or watching the movie, the hours, which is based on Mrs. Dalloway and, and then it, the book's just not intimidating because then you you know the story a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I totally. I definitely agree with that. You know, classics, you, there's no one way to enjoy them. I've been a big fan of audiobooks for classics. Mm, that's um, such a good idea. It's great. Uh, that's how I got into Edith Wharton at first because I was picking up the text and I'm like, I'm having a hard time getting into this. Found a really great audiobook, and I'm like, I am along for the ride here. Get to the end of the book, I'm sobbing in my car, and I'm like, mm. what is this? But here I am. And it, it just really brought me into the literature. And then when I do pick it up on paper, kind of in between, it flows a lot more for me because I'm I'm in the story now. I'm in the world, I'm in the writing style. Whatever it takes to, I mean, all of us probably read those junior classics when we were kids, the little abridged versions made us yeah. interested in story. There's there's no harm in any of it. This is the money question. Okay. When I had you on the show, you chose your childhood favorite. <laughs> <laughs> you know that you read when you were six, The Heart is a Lonely Hunter by Carson McCullers. Not six, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just about. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and it was such a and it was a book I hadn't read, and it was such an interesting conversation. And it was especially interesting because you had such a long history with it. So mm-hmm. my question is, if I were to ask you today to come <laughs> on the show and just do one book, yeah. do you think you would still choose it? No, actually. Mm. Um, I still love The Heart is a Lonely Hunter. I would say it's still top five for me, but um, it, it's a tough question. I, I had been holding back on you because my idea was <laughs> my all-time favorite book, and I've maintained it since I was maybe 15 years old, is East of Eden by John Steinbeck. Mm. And my eventual goal was to do an episode, just me talking about East of Eden by John Steinbeck, reading it now, like really getting into it. I never really found the time. Will I probably come back to it at some point? Probably. I wanted to just really do a deep dive into why I love that book so much. Um, but I haven't picked it up since I was about 15 years old. It's been 12 years since I've read this book. Every time I think about rereading it, I think it's going to like ruin the experience a little bit. And I, I, I worry, I recommend it to everybody, but mm-hmm. I haven't picked it up again. I, I would still call it my favorite, but, um, if I was saying a book right now that is fresh in my mind that I would consider, an all-time favorite for adult Malavika, knowing how I read and how that's changed, it would probably be The God of Small Things by um, mm. Arundhati Roy, which I also read for this show and absolutely blew my mind. Like that probably is my favorite book as an adult woman, you know, now that I've gotten into books from sort of the ancestral homeland and starting to develop myself as a writer, 
that book draws in so much what I love about literature and made me feel at home in so many ways, challenged me as a, as a reader, made me invigorated about writing, absolutely blew my mind in every way. Tell me what that's about. Okay. So it's, so the God of small things basically takes place in, um, Southern India, Kerala, which is the state that my family actually immigrated from. Um, specifically it follows these two twins and their very chaotic home life that they live there. They sort of come from this family that runs a pickle factory or a pickle business. And, um, they, it's, it's hard to summarize this book, but essentially, it's describing the tragedy that basically tore their lives apart. And the book is told non-linearly. So here's my, my Faulkner fangirlism coming in again. This book is an homage to the non-linear time frame. It is constantly coming back and forth in time. You are getting things written in a child's perspective, an adult's perspective. You can't rely on any of these narrators. You don't know who to trust in this book. But ultimately, it is just written so beautifully as you kind of unravel what led to these tragedies in their lives. And it's so I'm sure other I probably did a better job of summarizing it in the actual episode I did. But right now I'm just like, all that's coming to me is like an emotional feeling that I got when I read the book. Another book where I just like broke down sobbing. All my favorite books are sad. It's just who I am. But (laughs) It, it's it's so beautiful. And I think for me, the added, you know, cultural relevance, knowing I, I have the copy my mom bought in 19, uh, 1997 when it came out mm, in India cool. like for like, I don't know, 300 rupees, which is what, like three bucks? I don't know. But I have her copy. And uh, Roy has just been one of the preeminent Indian writers that we think of now and an activist and icons in so many ways. And just and knowing that this was her debut novel, it won the Booker, it won so many prizes, and I'm like, mm. girl, that was your debut novel. It is written. It is a masterpiece. Like I can't even. Does your mom also consider that a a favorite novel? I asked her actually because she's like, oh yeah, I read that. And then my mom was like, my mom said, I remember enjoying it. Um, she thought like there's some political aspects of the book. She said, I thought the politics were kind of dry. Um, I thought that she, she doesn't call it a favorite. My mom is in, my mom also loves a complicated book. My mom's all time favorite book is Ulysses. Mm-hmm. I made her pick a different book when she came on my show. I'm like, <laughs> no mom, no, absolutely but, not. That's the, you can that's see where the... I come from here. My mom's favorite book is Ulysses. Like <laughs> yes. I sound normal. Is yours still Howard's end? Howard's oh end? yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> not, but not 24 seven, which I've come mm-hmm. to understand as I, the more people I talk to because people really do get flummoxed by the question. And I've come to understand that you can have a favorite, but not always your favorite. Right. And, um, you know, the comparison I make is like, sometimes I want a piece of chocolate cake, but not if it's a hundred degrees outside and I'm sitting Mm -hmm. on the beach, I want a popsicle. Right. Yeah. And I am just a big believer that your book life is the same thing. And yes, Howard's end, I think is, is, my favorite book. And I think it's the best written book and the best, my favorite plot structurally plotted book, but I'm not always in the mood for that. Mm-hmm. You know, for sure. this morning I read that Santa Claus erotica is the new big thing. And I was like, 
Well, okay then. Sometimes you want a little Santa Claus erotica. I mean, I don't, but some people do. And <laughs> and that's super cool. And and I just think like if you walk around going East of Eden or Howard Zen is is the only really best book. Well, you're you're shutting a lot of things out, which is absolutely not why absolutely. we're readers. And that's why I always tell people, you know, if you have trouble picking a favorite book. Think about a childhood favorite. Think mm-hmm. about a book that influenced you. Like the word favorite has so many different meanings. And yeah. I've had people take all, I had w- one guest who picked a book that came out like a month ago. And she says, this is my favorite book right now. And this is what I want to talk about. And I'm like, let's do it. And it was great. And we had a great time. But it, everyone's got a different interpretation of it because, you know, our reading tastes are as fickle as our food taste. But I know personally, I can eat ice cream in all weathers, in all climates. <laughs> I can eat it. On a on a train with a goat with a boat, like all that. <laughs> so since starting this podcast and it over the years that you've done it, do you get asked more often like what should I read next kind of questions? Because I get asked that all the time. And the bad thing is I have a terrible memory. And I always <laughs> go like, I don't, I, I have no idea. You just oh, have yeah. to listen to the last episode. So when people ask you that, what do you which one do you tend to say, I just read this, check it out? So it's actually interesting. My husband and I always argue about how best to recommend things to people. His argument was, I like to recommend things that I really, really loved. That's his thing. My thing is, I like to ask, what kind of books do you Mm. enjoy? Let me find something that's more tailored to your experience. It's why my husband and I can never agree what to watch on TV, but that's another story. (laughs) But that's a whole other podcast, really. (laughs) But for me, it's like, Uh, When someone asks like, oh, do you have any good reading recommendations? I'm like, what's a book you like? And what kind of books do you like reading? Or are you like a light read? Like, what are you in the mood for? And if they give me like, oh, I really enjoyed X book, I can usually find a Y for it. That's actually Mm -hmm. sometimes on Instagram, I'll just have a drop a book you really loved. Give me a, I'll give you a recommendation. I really like doing that. And that's why I kind of made it part of the show where it's like, if you like this book, try this book. It's always been part of my episodes. I have the guests chime in because I feel like I can recommend what I like, but I acknowledge that I'm weird. Like (laughs) everybody that I tried to recommend Faulkner to, they just roll their eyes. Like my mom's like, I'm not reading any Faulkner. Like, like not you, even you. And so no one's going to take me seriously on that. Although I will say I have recommended East of Eden to a few people and at least two of them have now called it their favorite book. Mm -hmm. So I can call that a win. Gosh, I haven't read East of Eden in so long and I love that book, but same thing. I haven't read, I think I haven't read it in 20 years or so. Maybe I'll reread that over the holiday break. I definitely plan to reread it. I I wanted to do it for the show. I might still do it for the show. Like I said, final hiatus for your favorite book. It's just a a pause, Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm definitely going to reread it. I'm just going to buck up and tell myself it's going to be different at 27 than it was at 15 or 28 or however old I end up being. Sure. I'm I'm excited for it. If anything, you just learned something new about yourself. And and it's always fun to also re-examine without any sort of prejudice of, I can see why this was interesting to me at that age. Exactly. And I can also see why it's not interesting or maybe more interesting at this age. You just never know. 
Right. Like one thing I can already say right now is um, treatment of race. Like I'm going to see that totally differently now than I did at mm-hmm. 15. Yeah. Like not just because I've grown, but because our our political climate has just made us much more aware of these things in our literature. Like the, the talking points have changed. Like what we're more aware of has changed. Like I'm going to read that and, you know, take those comments with a grain of salt. I mean, A, it was 1950-whatever, but B, you know, we've changed as a society a lot of our perspectives. And so, you know, I know that's going to come to mind for me, but I'm I'm still excited for the experience. Now, I'm I'm having a hard time. I'm either going to do that now or God of Small Things, because you've talked me into both of them over Christmas break. I'm not sure. Both of them have excellent audiobooks. So oh. I recommend both both for audiobooks, especially for the God of Small Things, because a, a lot of it does incorporate words in Malayalam, which is the native language. And it's really nice to hear that kind of spoken aloud a little bit. If you've never, if you don't know how the words sound, like yeah. I couldn't be like, oh, that's what they're saying. But if you don't know the language, yeah, I wouldn't get that it. It's the the language itself is a palindrome, M A L A Y A. I'm not spelling it correctly, but it's a palindrome. Okay. Um, that's a language that my parents speak at home. It was my first language as a kid. I'm not fluent at it at all, but I understand it pretty well. Um, so that's just the language I grew up with. So you must have really, it must have really felt like you were sinking into a favorite chair. It really, it was the first time I had really seen that on the page. Uh, mm. And I was, I don't know, 26. And I was like, it's taken me. And then since then, I've read other books by Malayali and Malayali American writers. And I'm like, oh, wow, you know, this is a perspective I didn't know that I, that my heart needed, but I did. And I've put I've put elements of that into my own my own work. And it just shown me like I can I can just have this in my book because that's what I know. Can you tell us some other authors that you've liked what, that you went searching out? Yeah. So um, as part of the National Book Award longlist, uh, one of the books that was longlisted and I ended up really, really loving is called All This Could Be Different by Sarah Thunkham Matthews. And um, she is also um, from Kerala. She um, immigrated, I think, in early adulthood and her characters kind of come from that diaspora. And that book is much more modern. It's it's essentially a very millennial conflict. The main character is like 22 in her first job trying to figure out, you know, relationships and interpersonal things. And I loved the writing of it. I, I just love the casual incorporations of food I grew up eating at home and just customs and things. And it's just part of everything else. Nothing is exoticized or, or italicized excessively. You know, it's all just part of the language. Um, I was bummed personally that it didn't win the National Book Award. That was one of the books I really wanted to win, but I thought it was an excellent book and really helped me feel seen to use that Mm. term. Okay. I'm adding that to my list too. (laughs) I have so many, man. Like (laughs) this happens every time I talk to you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Let's do a bookworm lightning round. Okay. Okay. Are you ready? (laughs) I'm ready. How do you organize your bookshelves? Alphabetical order for fiction. Um, For nonfiction, I group them by category. Um, I once tried the color thing. I <laughs> kept that for about a week. It was fun doing it. And then I'm like, I can't find anything. So <laughs> same. And I took the picture for Instagram and then yeah. I immediately went, this is bullshit. This yes. is not <laughs> readers don't actually do this. <laughs> I, I, the ones who do, they must know all of their books inside and out. I barely know what books I own. I have definitely no. bought duplicate books before. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know I had this. And I'm like, so I can't do the color thing. Like, no. 
No, it's crazy. And then all the sauce. author's books are in different places. And I'm like, I can't handle it. No, that man, that makes me crazy. Not having the author's books all together, because then when I go to buy a new one, I think, I don't think I have this one, but it turns out I did. It's just that it was in the green section, not the yellow section. Yep. Ugh. The other no. way that I organize my books is I have a third, I have many bookshelves, but I have a third shelf that is my amassing collection of Pulitzer Prize winners. Um, I'm almost done with the collection and I have those organized by year. So starting oh, with 19, uh, starting with 1918 all the way to 2022. And I have those by year. So I know where to add the new ones as I get them about five books away from completing the collection. I remember you talking about this on one of our earlier episodes. You're collecting all of the winners yes since the award started yes are you reading them as you collect them or is it just no. a collection oh. <laughs> I intend to read them. eventually said, back when I was a new podcaster and just very optimistic about how much time I would have I was doing little episodes about them and reading them and I'm like I can't do this so <laughs> my goal is to read them all eventually but I'm gonna have them and they'll be there for when I'm ready for them perfect and it's a beautiful collection and I'm just happy to look at it what's the best place to read I have a nice little chair in my reading room where I often just like to sit in. But honestly, a place that's really underrated to read, airplanes. I always bring way too many books on a trip. I, without fail, will finish an entire book on an airplane. Like, if it's at least a three-hour flight, I will read the whole book on the airplane. I'm just someone who, I don't watch a lot of movies, so the movies don't really appeal to me. I'm probably not able to sleep if it's a daytime flight. I'm not about to talk to anybody. So I'm like, all right, we're reading. And so I really enjoy reading on a plane. So that that's me. I'm not about to talk to anybody. No. It's <laughs> no, <this> just <is> crazy. <laughs> okay. Tell me the snack situation. What's the perfect drink and the perfect snack to have on hand while you're reading a book? Oh my God. I love this question. It's a perfect question because it's important. Yes. So often when I'm reading, I'm not a big snacker because I tend to get distracted by food and then I forget that I'm one or the other. Yeah. Um, but sometimes I'll have like, I don't know, a big bowl of kettle corn or something I can mindlessly munch on, some cheese and crackers, something like that. Um, but I'm, when I write, I'm, I write first thing in the morning when I wake up and I always have breakfast when I write. So that's just a little ritual for myself. So there's usually always a bagel and a cup of coffee every morning when I write. So that's my snack and beverage situation. What's your snack and beverage situation? You know, hot tea and M&Ms. It's got actually, it's got to be M&Ms because otherwise you get stuff on your fingers and then it gets mm. on the book. Now, what's your M&M of choice? There's so many types. Yes. No. Do not come at me with types. It is plain M&Ms and that is all. Anything else, the proportions are, except for peanut M&Ms are okay. Peanuts are my go-to. I've yeah. tried the others. They don't work for me. <laughs> I will say though, I don't mind regular M&Ms. Mini M&Ms are the worst. No, they're the it's worst. too much candy coating to chocolate ratio. Any mini candy, the ratios are all, all the mini Reese's cups, all the mini no. M&Ms, the ratios are all wrong. Don't come at me. <laughs> and they had those giant M&Ms for a while too. Remember those? They were like, they were plain M&Ms, but they were giant. And those were also bad because mm. the fact is the chocolate's not all that good. So you don't <laughs> want it in big. You need the, the little, right ratio. That's right. It's mm -hmm. very important. But it was funny you were saying that um, it made me laugh when you said that you, you get distracted by the food. Because my problem is if I have a bag of M&Ms and I'm reading, I tend to just shovel and keep reading. Mm. And then I look down and I go, oh, my God, did you really eat all those M&Ms? <laughs> because I stopped paying attention. 
Right. And I'm then, big on like, if I have any kind of snack while I'm doing something, I have to portion the snack ahead of time. Yes. I take a bag with me. I have to be like, all right, here's six crackers and six pieces of cheese. Otherwise <laughs> it's going to be a problem. Yes. yes. That's the thing about getting into our books. <laughs> <laughs> so before we go, hit me with what are you reading right now? What's on your nightstand? Okay, I'm going to plug the book of a friend of mine. Those of you who listen to my show or listen to my friend Emily Edwards, host of Fuckboys of Literature, has her <laughs> debut mystery novel out. It is called Viviana Valentine Gets Her Man. It is a 1950s, uh, it takes place in New York, 1950. It is all the oh fun gosh. of your hard-boiled mystery novel, but from a feminist perspective, it's been a lot of fun so far. I am halfway through it. Um, I'm saying this not just because she's my friend, but also because I'm just genuinely enjoying the book. And it's really nice to read something light after finishing all of the crazy podcast reading. I will say, I you introduced me to that podcast. I think the very first time we talked, I still think it's the funniest podcast title that has ever been invented. It's and so good. Boy, that is a great book title too. I am adding that one to my list because that sounds great and sounds like a lot of fun as well. It's so much fun. Comfort reads are mystery mystery books. And so yeah. this is right up my alley and it's been a lot of fun. Now, will you come back next year, even though you don't have this podcast or you may have not restarted it, but I got to tell you, Malavika, talking to you at the end of the year, doing these little wrap-ups is one of my favorite little rituals. And so I hope you'll come back at the end of next year and we can still rehash, tell me your best of the year. Even though you're going to be all like, I read nothing but Michelle Foucault all year. And I'm going to be like, oh, I read Santa Erotica. But <laughs> can we still have this conversation next year? Julie, I will come on these things. I will I will come on these episodes as often as you will have me. Like I, I am here for you. Excellent. I, I want to hear it. all your Santa erotica takes. Like I'm here for it. I guess I have to read it now. I mean, I've brought it up three times in the course of this conversation. Are you still writing reviews for the Chicago Review Books? Yes. And that will not change. So for those of you don't that don't know, I write a monthly book review for the Chicago Review of Books. Um, you can find me there on their website, shyreviewofbooks.com, I believe. Um, but if you search Chicago Review of Books, you'll find it. Um, so you'll still find me there. Um, I will still have Instagram and Twitter. I will probably still be at YFB podcast. I'm still going to be posting my book takes. I'll keep you all filled in with my MFA journey because I know a lot of people that follow me have been asking about it and they're thinking about that path for themselves. So I'm definitely going to be open and transparent about how that goes for me. And yeah, still going to be reading. That's never going to change. Never going to change. And thank goodness for that. Well, as always, it has been lovely talking to you. And I can't wait to talk to you again in a year and see where you are on your reading journey. And best of luck to you. And I'm going to be the first person to congratulate you when you win your Pulitzer. Thank you so much, Julie. <laughs> that wraps up another year of the Best Book Ever podcast episodes. And as always, my friends, it has been a blast. I already have a few 2023 episodes in the can, and I can already tell you it's going to be a great reading year. But for now, I'm going to take a two-week break to rest a little bit, and you know exactly what I will be doing with my spare time, eating all the Christmas cookies, drinking all the wine, and basically reading whatever the hell I want to read. I'm really looking forward to the break, and I'm really looking forward to talking to you again in the new year. Thank you for being here with me. 
It's a joy to talk books with you every week and an honor to be in your podcast queue. And I am eternally grateful for you. Happy holidays. Thank you for joining me today and all year long. And as always, I will see you at the library.